Welcome to another episode of CyberSide Chat. I'm your host, Jess Coburn, and today I have the fortune of having with me Diane Geller, who's been a, a personal friend as well as a trusted advisor to myself for a number of years now and has a unique experience in law. Diane, could you talk a little bit about your, your background? Sure. Good morning, Jess, and thank you for having me. My background's a little unique because I come from the business world, having experience working kind of on the other side of issues for many years before, as I like to say, going to the dark side of the billable hour and working in a law firm. But what it's enabled me to do was to bring a special insight to my clients, and I'm, I've been really fortunate in being able to do that. I wanted to talk about employment law and specifically I wanted to talk about the CARES Act and everything that's been going on because for a lot of businesses, this is still a big uh, blobby mess that we can't quite put our, our hands on and, and figure out how it's going. I know the CARES Act did a lot of things. Some of it is, is going to be helpful for businesses and some of it might actually create hazards. Could you talk about some of the things that employers might not be aware of? Sure. And the, it's an ever-changing universe. I would definitely suggest people that have put their toe in the water with regard to either the PPP or the EIDL money, periodically take a look at the US Treasury site for the SBA because they're constantly posting uh, new guidances there that are helpful to, to help you navigate your way through it. Some of the concerns, first of all, people have still been having trouble getting PPP money. And I'd recommend to you if uh, you are still having that and your bank isn't giving you any guidance, you might consider going to a smaller bank, maybe a community bank. There are many out there that, that seem to be able to move it along a lot faster than some of the giants. So keep that in mind if you haven't gotten your money yet. A couple of other things that we've seen is you should know that the EIDL money requires a personal guarantee as well as some collateral. So you want to be concerned and understand that and understand what you're signing. Also, one of my partners told me over the weekend that they're seeing some banks requiring a guarantee on the PPP money, and that is not required by the statute. So read what you're signing. Read, read, read. So, some other concerns or some of the other questions that I've gotten have to do with what the payback is going to look like if you haven't met the 75% use, how you record your 75% use for payroll. And as we get into the return to work, and as you know, Jess, in Palm Beach mm -hmm. County, today is the first day we're semi-open here. So it's going to be interesting to watch. But as employers make offers to return to work, I, you really need to do that in writing and you need to record the fact that if someone is not going to return, if you're making an offer in order to be able to get a credit for having done that under the PPP, not only do you want to make it in writing, it needs to be the same job that they left. It needs to be the same number of hours, the same rate of pay. All of that's really critical in keeping a record of it. Additionally, you don't have to bring back the same person that you terminated. It all has to do with uh, full-time equivalent headcount and dollars. So you really need to know the, the terms and take a look at the uh, SBA guidance and call your attorney if you have any questions. 
Um, also, one last thing at the at the end, you'll you'll be able to see our website. If you go there, we do have a coronavirus section on it where there is some very helpful PPP and, and EDIL yeah. information. So Diane, one of the things I did in response to all this is I started a, a Facebook group called South Florida Business Owners Helping Each Other. And the goal was to build a group of business owners that they could collaborate with and share helpful information. And because we're a client of Fox Rothschild, I've gotten all that information as it's come out and you've shared up just an abundance of it. So thank you for that. But I've made it a point to kind of curate that and share a good amount of that within that group. And it's really been valuable. I know other people have actually mentioned, hey, this is really helpful. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you to the Fox Rothschild for all the work they put into that. I know it's been useful. Back to the PPP. So that, that's interesting, right? As long as we reach the same number of FTEs and the same amount of salary, we can rehire the same employee or we can hire other employees to fit that need. Because I imagine today we'll see employees that don't want to come back to work, that you know, maybe they can't come back to work. How do how would an employer address that, Diane? Well, there's lots, lots of moving parts with that issue, Jess. You know, certainly in general, you have the right to order an employee to come back to work. Here's your offer. Come on back. We're, you know, we'd like you to be back or you need to be back on Monday. Your hours are going to be the same as they were before. Your salary is going to be the same as it was before. But we all know that we're going to get some employees who are reluctant to come back to work. And that reluctance can come from many reasons. I know that many people were concerned that because the uh, unemployment rate right now until the end of July has that extra $600 kicker in it that they were concerned that people were not going to come back. But employees still have to have a good reason that they're not going to come back to work. Otherwise, you can consider them to be resigned. And in fact, under the Florida DO, DEO, Department of Economic Opportunity, which is the Florida Unemployment Department, you need to report to them if you have an employee who refuses to return to work and they may lose their right to unemployment. Now, that having been said, I mean, there are emotional issues, there's practical issues, there's lots of considerations in employees coming back to work. As I said before, you need to make it the offer in writing. You need to consider the reason why the person isn't coming back to work. I would suggest that when you make the offer in writing, you consider whether the person can continue to telecommute if they've been doing that before. You know, that's been a very good solution to many companies, including my own, that there are employees that can readily telecommute, even though in the past we thought that wasn't a possibility. Additionally, I would let them know what you're doing to your premises in order to help protect them so that they feel more comfortable coming back to work. The other thing is, are they a vulnerable employee? Do they have somebody homesick? Is there a childcare issue? All of those may be actual considerations. However, I wanna warn you because I've seen it starting to happen. Don't assume somebody's a vulnerable employee. Just because they're over the age of 60 or you may know that something is going on, you cannot make that assumption. So you've got to be really careful of discrimination. It's up to them to bring up the issue. I think that's that's a really, uh, really important. In terms of childcare, that's going to remain an issue because schools are not open. Camps, who knows if they're going to open this summer or not. 
So that's where we look at the uh, Family Fir Families First Act, and they are entitled to certain consideration if they can't return because of a childcare issue. Under that, they're also entitled to certain sick leave if they can't return because of an active sick issue. So the Family Cares Act provides the, the assistance or the guidelines for the employer that provide the assistance for an employee who has a family member that's either sick or needs care. And so, so it's a good thing. Yeah, that's the family's, the family's first act. And yes, mm -hmm. it is a good thing. You know, you're hoping people aren't going to take advantage of it. However, they only get two weeks of paid, reduced paid sick leave. And the extension on the FMLA is only for child care. They may, though, still come under the FMLA and you need to, you need to consider that. One last thing I want to mention is when somebody is telling you they don't want to come back to work, you need to determine whether or not that's a reasonable fear. And you can ask some questions like during this pandemic, what have you been doing? Have you been going to the supermarket? Have you been going out to, I'd like to say get a haircut, but as we all know, that hasn't happened yet. Have you been going to visit people? What, if, what have you been doing? So yeah so give me just one second here sorry sure. i'm juggling six different things here so we've got some comments coming in diane and i'd like to point out that if if you're watching the video i'd love it if you gave us a like or uh click you know a little like button there just so that we know the video's working everything's coming through well we got uh we got feedback from a friend and, and mutual client of ours jamie jamie delsing so Greetings to Jamie. Thank you for. Hey, Jamie. <laughs> so, so we got we got a couple of people. So, so that's great. Back to opening up. So, as businesses are opening, I, I've talked to a number of different business owners, and they're looking at things like changing their, changing the the layout of their offices. You know, if they were in cubicles before, maybe they were a call center with four foot cubicles. They're looking at six foot cubicles. They're looking at expanding. Uh, their hallways? Is this all stuff they, they need to do or is this just being a good employer? Yes and yes. Okay. Uh, I, I think that there's a lot of, yes, you want to be a good employer. Yes, you want your employees to feel comfortable. You don't want to be part of the problem by having people come back and be in an unsafe environment. If they can establish that it happened, that they were exposed on the job, you may have a comp claim. You could have an, an you know, I'll talk about each workplace in a second, but you could also have their, uh, a suit that doesn't fall within comp if they believe that you've been grossly negligent. It goes under a different section, and there are some attorneys who've started uh, bringing those lawsuits in order to avoid comp claims and to try and get, you know, deeper, deeper cash for their clients. Each workplace is unique. You know, what needs to be done is you know, you have to look at your own workplace. One good document that I've seen, and I have no affiliation with them, is Cushman and Wakefield put out a really good guide. It's very comprehensive. You can get it on their website. I'd suggest you take a look at that. Some of the essential businesses are good places to look at what they've done because they've been operating during all of this. Reevaluation, you know, has to be constant. 
you might want to update your handbook. We said you said six foot spacing is what's recommended. I know in our own office, they're getting ready for our return at some point, and we're going to have to be shifting people around because we have workspaces that are not six feet apart. We may be taking over conference rooms because we're going to limit the number of people that can come into our premises. So, and put some of our support staff in conference rooms in order to meet the six foot spacing. One way hallways, you come in through one door and go out through another door, you know, just like the supermarket, although nobody really follows it there. Glass barriers are possible. Propping open certain doors so that people don't have to touch the doorknobs and to eliminate some of the touch points. You know, of course, enhanced cleaning and telling employees to stay home when they're sick. But I think the whole thing is going to be communication is the key, posting signs, posting hand-washing signs, you know, controlling access. One thing that, that hasn't been mentioned on many of the sites I've seen is what are you going to do about your vendors? You know, the guy that delivers the toilet paper, if you can still get it, how is that going to be delivered? Who's going to be, where is that person going to be able to come? Are they going to be able to come up into your office? Are you going to have to meet them down at a loading dock? How are you going to deal with that? How are you going to wipe down any new products coming in if you think that's important? All of that has got to be thought out and planned as part of the return. That's why you see, if you watch the news, there are many businesses, although they can open today, are not ready to open yet because they're still working on that. And you know, kudos to them for not rushing the issue. So what about employee screening? Are employers gonna be able to screen their employees? I mean, I know that I've seen some people looking at automated like thermometer, you know, temperature checkers to do facial recognition as employees come in. Yes, I've, I, the EEOC has amended its rules to allow you to take temperatures and without violating the ADA, the same thing with coronavirus testing, you're allowed to have that. The automatic temperature checks, there's a couple of things. One, get a non-touch thermometer if you're going to do this by hand. Have a, you have to have a recording process. It needs to be confidential. Someone on a, I had done a webinar for a company in Tennessee last week, and someone asked the question, gee, we're looking at an automatic testing machine, I guess, where they either walk by or they go in and walk out. And they said, well, the red lights go off and the, and the bells go off if they're over the temperature limit. I said, no, it's got to be confidential. So you've got to have a system where people are not standing on top of one another. You know, your six foot distance at least. Maybe go behind a screen, have their temperature checked, have the person prepared to, to know what to do if the temperature is above normal. You may also want to give them a checklist. No, I haven't had a sore throat. No, I haven't had this. No, I haven't had that. I haven't traveled. All of that's now permissible. With the COVID tests, I just am a little concerned because realize that they're only good the day they're taken. So if I'm not showing any symptoms today, you give me a quick test tomorrow, I might have symptoms. And I'm not sure that it's practical to do it every day. But certainly that checklist, certainly the, the temperature check, all are very permissible. Um, you've got to decide what you're going to do most most places you need to be paying your employees while they're standing in line waiting for their temperature check. 
So realize that's an issue too. You know, Diane, I think it's an important thing to do. I, I know a, a friend of mine, he's at a manufacturing company and they had a case and you know, I'm, I'm sure I don't have all the facts, right? But they had a case where one of their employees actually, when they did the temperature check, tested high, went and got the COVID test and was positive. And two of the other employees that were close to that employee had to go quarantine away. And I think one of them actually came up positive as a result of that. So it's definitely important. It's definitely there. It's something we need to be aware of. Well, I think it's also you're showing your your employees that you care. You know, we don't want to subject you to this. It's not just we don't we have want to have our workforce in our in our offices or in our places of work. We care about you. So we're doing these, we're taking these steps. That's why communicating all those steps become so critical so that the employees, you know, believe that you share, that you care, and you do. So. Yeah, it's definitely important. You know, one of the things that I think is really interesting is that so many businesses have found that work from home works for them. And initially, when this first happened, my gut was, hey, this is going to just cause office space rental rates are just going to drop because I'm going to be able to get commercial space for next to nothing because everyone's going to be downsizing because everyone's going to work from home. But then we hear about the hallways and the changes and everything. I think we're going to see it kind of remain right where it's at. Well, I think so. I think you're going to see some other changes like maybe staggered schedules. I know most people I speak to want to go back to work. They don't really want to work from home, but working from home has been a pretty good solution. It's not as easy, at least not for me. I don't know how you find it, but it's not as easy for me as being in the office. But then again, it's going to be a whole new normal because I'm not going to be able to just walk out in the hall and talk to somebody or, you know, it's, it's going to be almost like working from home, but closer. Yeah. Yeah. So we pivoted to uh, remote work about a year and a half ago as a company. And uh, before that, we were work from home Fridays for about three years. And uh, I was completely against it. I thought that the team wasn't going to be able to collaborate, that we were all going to be siloed and that it was going to be horrible. It's actually worked out really well. But it's a struggle, at least initially, to get everyone engaged and to keep that interaction. You really have to have that set schedule and you have to have set meetings. You just, you have to interact. Um, well, one other issue yep, go ahead. That, that we're seeing and that we will see from all the work from home is how are you recording the hours of the employees that are not salaried? So that's, so a, great, that's, that's a great question. That's right? a big issue. And uh, I know there's a lot of technology. So one of the ways that we've done it, and this actually opens up a bit of a can of worms, for these businesses is because now you're talking about employee monitoring and how are you going to monitor the employees and ensure that the employees are only working the times they're working? Are you going to control the systems that they log into and lock them out so that they can't go in during those times? And, and then, you know, what are you doing to look at their information? So we've got a number of different tools that we can use. We still have our team clock in using their phones to clock into the phone system and clock out, clock out when they're on breaks, but we also monitor, the ticketing system that we use, the, the professional services automation platform we use and look at the activity there and make sure these guys aren't doing work after hours. Now, inevitably, you're going to have the quote unquote, the good employee that middle night's going to wake up because he had an aha moment. He's going to go work on something. You know, that's a real challenge that you just, I don't think there's a fix for And in some ways you don't want to stop that, right? You don't want to tell a good employee to become a bad employee. You want to 
you want to find that balance and, and, and that's a real challenge. But I think we, we do a fairly good job of it, but you need to be aware of it definitely. For us, it's fairly easy because we're a technology company. I think for other companies, they're going to struggle and it's going to open up issues. But I think if you're communicating and you're having those conversations, I think you're going to offset it. You know, Alan Crane that we had a interview with on Friday, he said the best lawsuit is the one that doesn't go to court. And, and I think that's where communication really comes in and is key. Well, I think, I think you're right. I think communication across the board, uh, not just from the, the wage and hour issue, but also for the safety issues. Don't be afraid to have a conversation with your employees. Also, you know, be smart. The CDC is still re recommending masks. If you're going to have your employees wear masks, you know, buy the masks for them. Set up the cleaning schedule. You know, that's not a place to, and in fact, in some states, you have to supply the masks. Make sure, before I forget, I want to remind everybody that if you, since you haven't been in your workplace potentially for several months, you, you need to be posting the sign about the Families First Act. And if you don't have a workplace where you can post it, then you should be either emailing it to your client, posting it on your intranet, or taking some other step like that that's required don't have a silly violation because of that. I think that that's really, really critical. A couple of other little things. We talked about the wage and hour issue with your, your um, salaried people. You can't keep changing their salary. Okay, I only want you to work 30 hours this week. I'm going to give you, you know, three quarters of your salary. Oh, I only want you, you can't keep doing that. You're going to create a problem. You're going to violate the FLSA, and all of a sudden you're going to have a lawsuit. Same thing. Take a look if you're a commission, if a company that works with commissions, take a look at the commissions, especially retail. Make sure you're still meeting the FLSA requirements because as the employees earn less commissions because less people are coming in, that could affect the exemption. So those are all places that we're going to probably start seeing some litigation rollout, and I want you to be prepared for that. Yeah, thank you for that, Diane. Hey, Diane, I'm curious. Is there anybody that's checking these businesses to make sure they're following these guidelines? Well, yeah. <laughs> so you've got OSHA, and in fact, they're probably the the most critical of who is checking out the workplaces. They can come in on their own volition. You can have an employee who's ticked off and picks up the phone and calls them. So you, that's one of the things you really want to avoid, Jess, and you're right. I just had a client who had a number of employees who didn't want to go back to work because there was somebody in the, in the plant, a couple of people in the plant had COVID, and they at least opened up a dialogue with their employees to try and figure out what's going to make them comfortable to come back to work. Otherwise, they could have very easily called OSHA, and all of a sudden, we're at fining and inspections and you know, a mess from that perspective. Yeah, I know one of my friends, he had, it was either the city or the county actually came in and did an inspection because they had received a phone call that someone didn't feel safe. And uh, they went through and checked everything and they, they checked out fine. You know, everyone was wearing their masks and were keeping their distance. And they had, you know, as far as this individual was concerned, they were doing everything right. I'm sure those, you know, what's right and what's not right is probably changed by now. Well, it's, it, this is all a very fluid situation because, 
as we all go back to work, I'm not sure we, well, we don't know what we're gonna find. And hopefully we're not gonna have another spike, we may, and we'll have to adjust for that. But, you know, let the, let the employees talk to you, you know, be, be listening to what their complaints are or their concerns and communicate with them. That's why when we talked about the invitation to return to work, communicate what, what's going to be required of them when they walk in. We're going to take your temperature. We're going to require that you have a mask. We're going to supply you with a mask. And then ask them, by the way, to indicate if they're coming back. You want to do that either electronically or by, by mail because that's going to be part of your PPP. And it's also going to allow you then to notify unemployment if they decide not to come back and then let unemployment decide if the reason was good or not. Yeah. Sorry for the dog barking. And that's Diane, good. just taking the, the other side of it, if I'm an employee and I'm not comfortable about my conditions, what can I do? Well, you certainly could, should communicate with your employer as to why you're un, uncomfortable with the situation. Have Open up that dialogue. Obviously, an employee that's not coming back may be entitled to either you know, the paid sick leave or the extended family medical leave or the family or family medical leave, or there could be an ADA issue that you know, let's see if we can accommodate that. Can we continue to have you work remotely for a while? Take your, if you've got a built up of PTO or vacation or sick, we're gonna let you uh, take your vacation and sick time as things continue to settle down. And then we'll check back with you, but we, we really hope you're gonna come back to work. Don't discriminate in terms of who you're calling back and not. So that's another thing an employee could feel discriminated against and may go trotting off to the EEOC or the State Human Rights Commission if they feel as if they're being discriminated against. It's a lot of good, a lot of good information, Diane. I appreciate that. Is there anything that you, I know we're coming up in about 30 minutes here. Is there anything that you feel we should have mentioned that we haven't mentioned? No, I think that we've really covered a lot in the last 30 minutes. I, I think just be smart. Don't, you know, make a plan, stick to your plan, be ready to change it if it needs to be changed. It's a very fluid situation. You know, the fear that your employees may have is, is real. It may or may not be reasonable. And that's a hard question to answer, but that's going to be the basis on which they don't come back or they say they're not coming back. So, and document, document, document. Thank you, Diane. I appreciate you taking the time with this. I went ahead and added a little scroller at the bottom there with uh, your contact information while, while we were chatting. And I've got good news for those that feel this last 30 minutes hasn't been enough. On Thursday, May 14th, Diane's going to have a, a webinar that she's co-hosting for the Business Development Board of Palm Beach County. It's at bdb.org, and you can register for that webinar there and get more information about it. And you can come with your questions, I'm sure. Diane, thank you so much for this. I'm going to end the video now, and you know, I'm going to display your contact information as well, and I'll leave that up for about a minute or so, so people can copy it down if they if they have a question they'd like to read out, reach out to you about. And I'd like to add that for the last ten years, Diane's been one of our most trusted advisors. She's always been helpful, always willing to sit down and, and have a chat with you, and she's become a friend, not just a, an advisor to to me and to my company. So thank you for that, Diane. I, I can't express how, how helpful you've been over the years. 
Well, thank you, Jess. I really appreciate it. And, you know, my goal is to keep you out of the litigator's hands. So if I can help you, I'm happy to. May I just take one second to mention that just be careful on my email address because I, I get people telling me they haven't been able to email me that S after Roths is tricky for some people. So thank you so much, Jess, for the opportunity. And it's been a pleasure chatting with you and for being such a good friend and client. Thank you, ma'am. Yeah, thank you. Have a great day. You too.